Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery, and it's brought to you by our friends at KnowYourScript.org. Go check them out without KnowYourScript.org. We wouldn't be able to do this weekly podcast. And Dr. Matt, I'd like to think that we've helped a good amount of people. I, I think we safely can say that we have. You know, in, in recovery, uh, when people are willing to share their story, you'll often hear them say, if it helps just one person, mm-hmm. then it's worth it. And that's exactly what we said when we first started this podcast three right. years ago. Yep. If we can help one person, then it's worth it. Because sometimes people who come on this show share the most vulnerable side of their life with us. And oh, it's, usually, yeah. And, and, and there's stigma that goes along with that. There's embarrassment. There's ego. I mean, it, it, I mean, when we were growing up as kids, I mean, it was the pack mentality. You didn't want to show no weakness because if you did, blood in the water, <laughs> those were those ones that got attacked. Yeah, the kids can smell it. You know, we grew up with uh, rub some dirt on it, walk it off. Yeah. You don't need to go to the hospital. You're not bleeding. I mean, right. the, the, those things were... I think I heard all of those on regular basis, yeah. How about this one? Playing football, playing basketball, all that stuff, yeah. Are you crying? I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> I mean, That's a classic. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. got that all the time. The one that my dad said, and I've used it on my kids, um, he'd be like, Casey, go in the garage and get a screwdriver. And I'd go out there and I'd mess around and I couldn't find it. And I'd come in. I go, I can't find it. He'd go out and pick it right up and goes, if it would have been a candy bar, he'd have found it. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was, if it had been a snake, it would have bit you. Yeah. But no, my dad yeah. was like, because you, you look harder for a candy bar yeah, than you, you look, look for a lot harder screwdriver. For, yeah, for sure. And I think that's still true today. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But I, we want to thank all of our guests who come on and, and share this side of their lives. I, I regularly, in fact, just the other day, will have somebody just who's listened to the show and they'll say, I am so impressed. Like they'll say, I couldn't come on the show and be that open and that vulnerable, but I'm impressed with your guests who do that because it's so helpful to us, the listeners. Another thing our guests will say is it's part of the healing process. Yeah. And it goes back to owning what it is. And if we, if we don't own it, there's a chance that it'll come back around. I think there's that uh, for sure. I think there's also an element of, increasing uh, self-awareness when you tell your story you understand it better Mm -hmm. and when you understand it better you understand yourself and self-awareness is a gateway to self-control like like doing what you really want to do in life and so i think it's important that's i think that process happens in therapy Mm -hmm. right and i think it happens here in this studio it happens in 12-step meetings it happens anywhere a person's willing to tell their story they grow okay so now because you're a clinical psychologist that means you're very smart I, I don't know if that's what it means, but... But you say something like self-awareness. Yeah. Okay. For those out there, uh, what is the definition of self-awareness? I mean, who 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 possesses good self-awareness? Well, hopefully, we all possess some self-awareness, but self-awareness in that context, I would say, is understanding 
why you do what you do. Triggers. Right. Triggers are part of it, sure. But it's like self-worth. Like, we all get up and have motivations throughout the day to do stuff. Some of it's productive and healthy. Some of it's not so much. But do you understand why you do what you do? That self-awareness helps you be in control of it. So you can you can do more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff, if that makes sense. So if somebody was listening to this podcast and wanted to hone their self-awareness skills, are there things that we could be doing to help us better understand who we are? Because, I mean, that's the crazy thing is now I'm a 48 years old and I think I know myself really well. But you would ask me 10 years ago, I thought I knew myself, but I yeah. didn't. I really didn't. Yeah. I was I was believing the hype. I was believing the BS. I was I wasn't sure of who I wanted to be. I'm not still 100% sure of who I want to be. I just know who I don't want to be and I'm moving towards that direction. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, I would put a plug in just for general therapy, like going in and talking with a therapist occasionally, even if you don't feel like a lot most people wait till they're in crisis yes. to go see a therapist. But if you were like hey, you know what? I want to know myself better. I want to have better self-awareness. I want to be more in control of my life. You could go in once a month and have a conversation with a therapist who can help you develop that insight. But a shortcut, not, 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 not a, not a life hacks, bro. Okay. Life hack, bro. Yeah. Uh, But not a substitution for good therapy, but here's an exercise that I sometimes ask people to do. Okay. And that is, it's an ABC journal. And this is what you do. Journaling sounds terrible, and I feel that every time I say that word because I hate journaling. I have a lot of guilt from being a kid, and you're supposed to write in your journal, and I uh, never did. But this kind of journaling is easy to do. So you could say to yourself, all right, every day when I go to bed, I'm going to get out the notes on my phone because I always have my phone with me. So I'm going to open up the notes on my phone. I'm going to think back on the day. I'm going to think, was there sort of a, a big powerful experience I had today, positive or negative, is something that was kind of high emotion, sticks out in my mind. Mm -hmm. That's the B. A, B, C. Antecedent means what came before it. B is the behavior. That was my experience I'm remembering. And C is the consequence. What happened because of that? So most days are pretty average and those aren't going to be huge deals. But to you, they are. If you realize what happened before this experience I had. What was the experience like? I'll write that down. And then what came as a result of that experience? And if you did that every day for a couple of weeks, you would have so much information about yourself. You'd start to see patterns of triggers or situations or influences that cause you to do and experience what you experience. And then you'd also start to see right there on the page the result of all your behavior. And sometimes that's exciting. And a lot of times it's kind of like, Ooh, mm. I, I got some changes to make. But the cool thing is, you know what changes to make now, right? All right. So walk me through this. Cause uh, I had something happen like this yesterday, but it wasn't for me. It was my daughter. Okay. Okay. So Frankie uh, is trying out for the Diets. Right. The Diets at Davis high school. Yeah. And my oldest daughter who was a junior decided not to do it because she wanted to do some different stuff her senior year, which is okay. And we talked about that. Because she's been a dancer her whole life until now. I didn't realize she's not doing it. No, she's not doing it. And so Frankie was trying out and Mm -hmm. this was a big deal at my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's been practicing for weeks. Truth be told, she's been practicing her whole life. All she ever wanted to do was be a Diet because her sister was and whatever her sister does, she wants to do. Okay. So me and my ex-wife are sitting outside of Davis High School. Uh, it's tryouts. 
So we're out there, and all of a sudden, Frankie comes running out, freaked out. She goes, Dad, I just bombed. I just bombed. And oh. she's talking to her mom. And she goes, I bombed. I blew the hip-hop. And hip-hop's my best, Dad. I can't believe I blew hip-hop. And she starts just freaking out, and and, and almost like an anxiety attack. Oh, you yeah, know? yeah. And, and I go, hey. She's panicking. I was yeah. like, hey, it, it doesn't all come down to one dance. Maybe it does. I don't know. I was just trying to comfort her. Right. You know, and I was like, just take a deep breath. Don't let them see a sweat. Mm-hmm. Go back in there and just own it. Own who you are. And I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. So she goes, okay, Dad. She takes a deep breath, wipes the tears from her eyes, goes in. Hour later, I'm stuck in a car with my ex-wife. And we had a pretty good time, but I, you know, we're, we're getting texts. So they didn't let you guys watch no, the tryouts. No, we couldn't watch. You had to so, wait. I'm, so I'm texting, you know, Frankie to see how it's going. She goes, I don't know, Dad. We're still waiting. And I was like, I'm running out of things to talk to your mom about. Frankie's <laughs> like, maybe you should go to Wikipedia and find stuff you can talk to your ex-wife about. Frankie's a character. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were laughing about that. And so then all of a sudden, she comes out, opens up, gets the letter, She's an official diet. Oh, yeah. Woo. So I wanted, and so, but during that, she was sending these texts like, I'm no good. I, yeah. I blew it. This is, I, I don't know what to do, you know? Yeah. And, and I was like, hey, you can't beat yourself up. You, 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 you know, negative self talk. Negative self talk. And, yeah. and, and I was like, hey, we can't have that. You know, you, all you can do is go in and give it your best. Right. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But if you know you did it your best, mm-hmm. you can be proud. Yeah. And she made the team. And so, That's awesome. And, and I'm stoked, but I still want to go back and talk to her about this negative self-talk. Perfect. So, so, so what often happens as parents is, you know, we're all, you know, we're on pins and needles about these sorts of things our kids do, and we want them to have good experiences. And when they do have a good experience, like she ultimately did, we tend to celebrate it, right? Way to go. Good job. You know, I saw the picture yeah. on, on Instagram. I got her a unicorn balloon. Unicorn balloon, right? Good. And yellow roses. I think that's a great dad move, right? Yeah. And so we celebrate it, and then we leave it. And the problem is, there's no guarantee of learning from that. So these are called mastery experiences. If you want to know what causes a person to have high self-esteem, self-confidence as an adult, it's because they've had a hundreds and thousands of positive self-mastery uh, experiences. And this is what it is. It's when you can take ownership of your role in a positive outcome mm-hmm. instead of giving it away. So what you need to do now, this is your homework assignment. I'm going to do it. You need to go to her next time you have a chance to just chat with her as soon as you can next few days, chat with her. And say, that's so great. You made, you're a diet. It's, I'm so proud of you. It's, it's amazing. But what do you think you did in order to make that happen? Now, here's the kicker. If she gives you an externalizing answer, something like, well, I got lucky. Everybody did well. The coaches were really good. Uh, I got lucky with the song selection. Any of that kind of stuff. She didn't really learn what we need her to learn. She didn't have a mastery experience. She doesn't. It's not going to be much different the next time she's in a similar situation, okay? Mm-hmm. And the self-talk's going to come back, that negative stuff. If she, on her own or with a little bit of coaching from you, can have some internalizing answers, it's good for her to be realistic and say, oh, you know, um, I did get a good song selection or, you know, my, my coach helped me prepare really well. But if she can own, like, I didn't give up, Dad. Like, I was really bummed, but when I came out and talked to you, I, I went back in and I really did try my best. I didn't give up on any of the parts. When I made a mistake, I kept going. Anything that shows that she knows how she helped influence that positive outcome. That she that's did the a, work. Then, yeah, that she owns it. Then that's a mastery experience. Okay? I like it. Now, this is very different than 
being a narcissist, somebody who's full of themselves. They have unrealistic like ownership. They, they think they're the best one there and that they own everything and that they didn't need anybody's help. That's not what we're after. That's Uncle Rico. He Uncle can throw Rico. the ball over the mountain. If I could just go go back, <laughs> throw that ball over the mountain, right? So, so if she can have an internalizing answer, and if she doesn't, you can say, well, you know, that is awesome. You got some a little bit of luck, never hurt anybody. But what did you do? You need to keep kind of coaching her. And then if she can't get it, you need to say something to her like, well, I noticed that instead of coming and getting in the car and going home with us, you dried your tears and you went back in. Do you think that had anything to do with it? And so that's the sort of coaching a parent can do. So don't make that mistake, which we've all made. Don't just celebrate something good that your kid does. At some point, come back around and have that conversation with them. How did you make that happen? And then listen, is it externalizing or internalizing? And when you call that a mastery what? Mastery experience. Okay. And so it's, this is why. The 10,000 hours. Yeah, well, that's practice. But yeah, you're owning it, I assume, if you're sticking with something that long. Yeah. But this is why a purple ribbon doesn't do anybody any good, yeah. right? Like we all grew up with like, oh, we get a lavender ribbon. And I think on this show, I've told my story of like in the 4-H club, which I shouldn't have been there anyway. <laughs> and then I got this lavender ribbon. I threw it in the trash because I, even at a young age, I knew that <clears throat> that didn't mean anything. Those things, celebrating, giving awards, those are fun. That's the fun part, but it doesn't build self-confidence, doesn't build self-esteem. That's where you can realistically say um, on the what we want to train young kids to do is I, I did these things and it, it created this outcome. As you get a little more mature, you can also do the other end of the spectrum and you can say, when I met, I, I messed up because I did these things and yeah. I'm going to do it different next time. But we will wait till she's a little older on that. Okay. But like right now it's, it's important for kids. And you know what? If you're 50 years old and you're struggling with your self-confidence, you can do that for yourself. Now you could say, well, do I give away responsibility for my success? Do, do I, can I not own it? Do I have this unrealistic humility? Some people who grow up in really um, religious households sometimes have a hard time owning because they feel cocky instead of saying, oh, I give it all up to somebody else did it for me. It's yeah. like, no, 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 what did you do? So I, w- I hope you'll have that. And then you got to come back and tell us how Frank report back to you. That's yeah. why I love having a doctor as a co-host. I mean, he's wicked smart, guys. He really is wicked smart. Well, I don't know. You should put that on your business card. Wicked smart. I should get a business card. Yeah, for there you go. Hey, I'm really excited for our guest today. He's oh, an too. amazing friend of mine. Uh, we've been through thick and thin. Uh, you might know him as Big Buddha, but his name is Leroy Teo, and uh, we're going to hear his story coming up next. You're listening to Project Recovery. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That is Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Our guest today. So excited. Big Buddha. Right. And uh, he's been doing morning television for, we, we talked about this off air, 19 years, man. 19, 19 years. And uh, we both started in radio before that. And uh, our, our our paths have been pretty similar. Our career paths have been pretty similar. Yeah. Uh, 
Mine uh, ended a little bit abruptly, uh, but we, we all know why. <laughs> why you got to read the bull stuff, man? Well, Come because, on, you man. know what? Because if, I, I got to remember, I got to remember it. I really do. And so. I got you. I feel uh, you. I feel just, you on that one. But we just keep moving forward, and uh, that's what we do. Uh, and uh, we work together for uh, the Utah Warriors rugby. Uh, right. Yeah, he's yeah. out on the field uh, getting everybody hyped in the scrums and, and explaining uh, rugby to a bunch of Utahns. And if you haven't <laughs> been to a game, it's absolutely amazing. It, they, they are a lot of fun. And uh, at least up here. And they do. <laughs> I don't buy any, but they do sell. Yeah, yeah. You can go check it out. Um, <laughs> Again, and, stop yeah. bringing up old stuff. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, but I. He, if you guys remember, it was probably about five months ago, uh, you turned on your TV and you noticed a big personality missing. Because uh, he's if, been there every morning forever. Yeah, 19 years. Yeah. And uh, I went to his Instagram uh, and he just simply said, I'm taking some time off to deal with some mental health. And he said, I'll be back in three months. And... Uh, Nobody heard from him. And uh, there was a picture of you. It looked like on an island, just giving everybody a peace out. Is that about right? Yep. And uh, it was uh, in Waikiki. Yep. Okay. In Hawaii. And so you, you went to deal with some mental health. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But let's talk about everything that got you to that point. Because uh, it, it doesn't just happen all at once. Uh, it's like an addiction. Uh, it, it, I think it's, I think, you know, with, with, with both of you guys, People kind of feel like they know you because they've, they, they've spent time with you on TV. And I don't discount that. I mean, that's people create relationships with people that are in their lives that way. But they may not know much about your background and how you got to where you're at. So maybe it's just where'd you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your family and, and just a little bit about some of those things. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I have a uh, there's kind of two sets of kids in my family because uh, my uh, cousins, they were older than me. Uh, my first uh, cousins, um, they came and lived with us. So as far back as I can remember, I always thought I had an older brother, a couple of older brothers and older sisters, but they were all cousins. Okay. Uh, but I am the oldest of six of children from my mom and my dad. Um, we grew up in, uh, I was born in San Bruno, uh, San Francisco in the Bay Area. I think I was six months old, my mom said, and we moved to Compton, California. So we moved to Southern California. Uh, my grandparents were the first non-whites uh, to live in Compton. So, yeah, wow. they, blame them. They're the ones who started it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it was a nice suburb to the Samoans moved in. Fine. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh, but that's that's the distinction my, my grandparents have. They were the first non-white uh, uh, residents of wow. Park Village, Compton, California. And so we moved there to be with them. And so that's where I grew up. And um, I think shortly, the, the earliest memory I have is we're attending uh, Park Village Elementary School. I see it's smoking. I can see the, I can see the elementary smoldering. It's fire. And we're walking away. And it's like, I don't remember anything else. That's my first memory. And there's there's drugs. There's violence. There's I'm like, whoa, where, where did they, all, all this come from? What happens to all the good stuff? But that's. I don't remember anything before that. Interesting. That's how I remember Compton. Um, so grew up in the inner city, age 12. My parents uh, decide uh, they want to go back to Samoa. Um, you know, my dad went to school. Uh, that, that's a conversation for another for another time. It's too long to get into it. But basically, my dad promised to go back and teach for the CES, the church educational system. And uh, he was supposed to go two years earlier. Anyway, decided, yes, we're going so we go there, and Dad's a seminary teacher in Samoa to start off with. Um, 
in Bissinga. And my dad was a seminary teacher. We have that in common. Yeah. Well, he was an institute teacher. And so, yeah. so you, you understand that was so. Yeah. But dad, before that, he was an institute and seminary teacher uh, in Southern California at a Harbor College, El Camino. So he knew a lot of the up and coming athletes. Right. So that's that was our world. Uh, we had cousins that played in the NFL. But but we grew up on that uh, around around that area in Compton. Anyway, we, we go to Samoa and my dad is a seminary teacher the first year. Um, my brother and my sisters, we all, we all moved to Samoa and it's, uh, going from the most advanced technological country, America to a third world country, developing country. There was no running water. There was no electricity. Uh, we had to dig our outhouse. I, I hadn't done any manual labor at all. <laughs> I mean, and now I you're was, digging it out. I was like, what? I'm dig, dig a what? This is for what? <laughs> no toilet paper, what? Yeah, we, we didn't have any mayonnaise. There was no ketchup. There was no peanut butter. No, two, I mean, there was all the creature comforts were stripped away. We were living wow. on the bare essentials. At 12. At 12. That's a hard time to have a change like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Atari. We, Atari mm. was the biggest thing. Now, uh, oh, here, here's how I'll tell you that the biggest difference. The, the VHS that they had was like a big old suitcase yeah. that it popped up like this. You had to push it in and push it down oh, yeah. in order for the tape to work. And we were like, oh, what, what, we have movies. I mean, Dad, it, again, it's, it's, it's a whole other conversation, but Dad was doing well, and he started buying all these gifts. Anyway, we're, we're in Samoa, and, and part of the mission is, you know, they sent big families to Samoa in not so very populated areas. So we would help with, uh, can you pass me that? Yeah. Sorry, but I got oh, the, emotion, the emotional damage. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> got to have the Kleenex ready. <clears throat> but they, they sent families, the big families back there that, that would populate these villages. And so we were everything from entertainment to showing kids how to, how to do stuff that they were doing in America. So we were doing movie nights. We were doing dances. We were doing proms, stuff they never had. Yeah. So there was all this pressure on us how to show Samoan kids how to live Western-style lives. Oh. You know, but we're coming to Samoa for the Samoan experience. So if you can imagine all this pressure on how I was showing kids how to date, and I didn't even <laughs> know how to date. You know, and it was like, right. oh, you have to do this. And so... I found myself teaching bowing, curtsy. I didn't know where that came from. Yeah. But but I was supposed to help them assimilate, I guess, into Western civilization so that when they went back to BYU Hawaii, they they, they were ahead a little bit. I, does that make any sense what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're it's it's bringing culture there that that hopefully they're, they're going to use in the future. Um but it's a clash of culture and that that can bring its own problems, yeah. right? Like and like you said, you you had absorbed some of that stuff, but at 12, 13 years old, like you were no expert at that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. I was just, I was just glad to be around, uh, hot, hot chicks. I mean, yeah. I'm 12. You know, yeah. I'm like, new girls to look at. Oh my gosh. Okay. They think I'm cool because I speak English. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but it was, so when you talk about the abuse and you talk about mental health, Samoa and Tonga, uh, probably a lot of the South Pacific island nations, that's where the root is at, right? So even though we're here in America trying to fix the problem, they're still doing it the old school way 
at home. That's where the, that's where we need to go and fix the root of all this because we haven't changed their mindset, right? People in America, they're, they're woke, uh, to use a, 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 a word, if you will. But we have resources. In Samoa, they're still beating their kids. They're still authoritative. They're, it's still abuse. So talk about like... Like we hear that and, and, you know, of course we all have our opinions about that and we try to avoid it, I hope. But, but for, for a lot of people in certain cultures, it's kind of the norm. So t- what was that like for you growing up? What, did it feel, did, did you have a clash of that between a, your American upbringing and your Samoan upbringing or I, I, what was your home like? That, that is kind a of great, stuff. that's a great question. I don't, I don't think there was an American. I mean, uh, the American way of life we experience, uh, my, my, my kid, my, my good friend Kenny, uh, he was the only white kid I knew in Compton, uh, went over to his house and this, I know you've heard a comedian say this, but this really happened to me. Bro, what happened? What's, what's that bruise? Oh, my dad hit me, blah, blah, blah. He can't do that. Bro, you can call the cops. Yeah, they'll, they'll arrest him if you do that. Oh yeah, try, try being a Samoan kid and you do that. Your dad tells you, well, it'll take about 15, 20 minutes for them to show up. So what, what, what are you going to do in between that? Where, where are you going to go? Yeah. I said, I got you. This is my dad would say, I got you. You ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Let the, let the police come. And that was back in the day, too, when cops showed up. They they let your parents discipline you. And they didn't arrest them. Like, so now you learned your lesson, huh, young man? Ah, you're not going to talk back anymore, are you? That was, that's how that's it, it was par for course. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I didn't feel... Any difference going to Samoa? I think so. You had that. Yeah, that was that was part of your family culture up in America. Yeah, I, I got I got beat up plenty in America. I mean, I think it got worse in Samoa because it was everybody was doing it right. I and in America, I thought everybody was. I thought everybody was getting beat up. Well, I thought you're, everybody got the. When hose. you're a kid, you don't know what's going yeah. on in other people's homes, so you just kind of assume yeah. it's like yours. It's a, so physical was, abuse was a regular thing. It's a regular thing, and it happened in public. I mean, it was. I'm not. I'm not alone. I know plenty of Polynesians, and even uh, kids who are not Polynesians. I saw that uh, living in the ghetto, living in the projects. That discipline, physical discipline, was something that was common. It happened in stores. Uh, Dad, can I have a candy? No, put it back. Can I have a candy? I'm going to tell you one more time. Can I have a Boom. Right. Right. It, yeah. it went from zero to 60 in, in, in the heartbeat. Yeah. You said something off air that I want to bring up because it, it really hit me is you said since the age of 12, you've been fighting grownups. I've, I've been fighting grown men, grown women since since I was since I was eight. So it wasn't just your dad, but it was like you mentioned off air, your aunties and yeah. any adult around you. It, they, it was, they had they had free reign yeah. to discipline me if I stepped out of line. And my mom and dad didn't even they didn't not that they didn't care, but I think they looked at it as, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for caring enough about my son that you discipline him, too. Right. You know, I mean, one of my uncles, I, 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 my uncle Blake. Short. He had short man syndrome, and that guy laughed his butt off while he beat us up mm. with platform shoes. Mm. I mean, it was it was that kind of stuff. I and I and I can hear myself, and I'm playing devil's advocate too. And I'm like, come on, man. Is it? It's almost like it's how these stories are like made up. But none of my cousins have come and called me out because they know it's true. Yeah, I, I, I dare any one of them to 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 confront these stories are true. I 
I don't want to make these. These are not stories you want to make up. So right. is is it a cultural and a generational thing that I mean it's just been passed down? Well, you brought up a good thing, Casey, off the air, and we call it intergenerational abuse, right? And part of it's cultural, but you can't. I, I think I, hopefully we can't excuse it by saying it's cultural. Like cultures have cultural behaviors that are wonderful. Yeah. And cultures have cultural behaviors that are not wonderful. And I think this this level of physical abuse is not wonderful. Even in you know Western cultures, it was much more common 100 years ago, 50 years ago. And, and now it's less common, but it still happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because it's a cultural thing doesn't mean it's productive for the culture. But it does. You brought up the fact that like talking about your dad. Uh, that maybe your dad was raised that way and you were like, oh yeah. So it, it gets passed down yeah. generation after generation. Yeah. It's, you don't know any other way, right? You, you think this is the way it's supposed to be until you get out in the world and you start to mingle with other people, right? And they, and you have these shared ideas. I, like my friend Kenny, he, he didn't even know, he, all he knew was a timeout. He a timeout, right? He, yeah. That's all he knew was a timeout, and he's productive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's doing well. Yeah, <laughs> he graduated from college. You yeah. know, I'm like so. So part of that is like, Dad, did you have to beat my butt that bad in order? For, I said, I, there's 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 evidence that you, you don't need you, that. You can help kids grow up and be productive, yeah. good citizens, without beating them. But if you talk to an old timer. They will say, but that that's I was teaching. Yeah, like like there's a conf- there's a difference in their mind between whether it was abuse, which we'd call it now. My dad will tell you, um, growing up, the thing that he hated the worst was when his dad would look at him and say, "Pick a switch." You know what that meant? Oh. He had to go outside and find like, do you, do you want a switch that's thick? Do you want the thin one? Like, what kind of pain yeah. do I want? Because that's what I'm going to get. I have to take yeah. the switch back and, and get my my lashes right for whatever I did. But I think my grandfather, he was, I'm sure, raised that way. And that's kind of like we're teaching the kids something. But nowadays we do know there yeah. are better ways if, to if do I wanna it. If I want to be honest, I'm, I'm at a crossroads. I, I, I'm at this horrible crossroads because I realize what. My father gifted me, unbeknownst to him. He gave me this fearlessness, right? So every time I go out, I left the house, I had this chip on my shoulder that whatever I would encounter, it's not half as bad as the 500-pound gorilla that's at the house who who will beat me up at the drop of a hat. So what are you going to do to me, right? So, so I had yeah, that mentality. Well. So so that's the fearlessness that dad blessed me with. But So, so here's now that I'm a dad. I'm a grandfather. I'm looking at my kids. I have the, I have two sets of kids. The first two kids, the two older kids, they were raised the same way. I, I, I was not a good dad. I was mean, authority. I beat the crap out of my kids. My, my, my last kids, none of them have ever experienced any kind of abuse. Right, please, please forgive me. God bless you. Please, please forgive me when I say this. I don't mean this. I just, I'm just a father who have noticed the difference. Of course. The older kids, they're killers. They they will stop at nothing. They don't care. They're fierce. They're fearless. My kids, the younger kids, come on, get up. Get up, push come on. Them. I kind of push them more. The ones, the older ones, it's okay. Bring it down. Bring it down a little bit. So I have this struggle. Where have I dropped the ball? I want this. For these kids, I, w- I want the fearlessness to be put in these kids, but without the abuse, 
that's where I'm at. Yeah. How do I teach my kids to do dangerous stuff safely so they can feel that adrenaline, so they can feel what it's like without the abuse? That That's where I'm at. And that's a crossroads. I, I mean, I think it's awesome that you're willing to come on and be so honest about it because you know what? There are people listening to the show right now that are at that same place. They're like, well, I want my kids to be tough and fearless. I want my kids to, to not back down to challenges in their life. How can we help them do that without the abuse? Because as you know, mental health issues start to become part of the DNA of a person who is abused. Yes, you may be fearless. Yes, you may be tough. Yes, you may not back down to challenges. And you can see the application, the positives of those things in your life. But there's also the dark side of it, right? There's there's actually uh, good evidence that those people struggle with self-esteem and they struggle with self-control. And sometimes that fearlessness gets them into situations that aren't healthy. Leads them to addiction. And we're going to find out what the dark side looks like. You're listening to Big Buddha right here on Project Recovery. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Willie. Our guest today is Big Buddha. Uh, he's talking about the gift that his uh, dad gave him, um, the gift of fearlessness. But as Dr. Matt said, although you got the gift of fearlessness, you also got some other things that uh, you had to carry around with you the rest of your life. Uh, what were some of the other things that you know that you carried around with you? Um, the, the, yes, Great, great question. I mean, things that you don't think about at the time, but, um, you know, I think as humans, we're always trying to find that silver lining. And so you gravitate to that thing, right? The fearlessness. Think positive. Yeah. Think positive. But, um, I've also, man, I've discovered that I'm so critical of myself because my dad was critical of me. You know, you guys talk about, um, I heard you guys talking about earlier when you opened up the show, how dad would tell you, you know, um, go find something, right? Oh, I, our dads are a lot alike, <laughs> but, but my dad would have this phrase. He had this phrase that he would say to us and it, it didn't mean that he wanted to help us. It meant that if I come over there and I do it, oh, you're going to get it. So, so he would ask us, uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a chore and I'm not doing it right or I'm not doing it up to his standard. He would ask, Hey, you want me to come over here and do that? That means he he doesn't want to come over. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. So I found myself, fast forward, I found myself trying to do that to my kids. It does not work. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you want me to come over there and do that? Dad, if you could help me, that would be really tremendous. <laughs> I, could, I could really, yeah, I'm not getting the stain out. I'm like... Ah, that's not what I meant. What the? <laughs> There's you know, not the fear it there. It doesn't yeah. work that way. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? What the heck? But you said so, we wanted to find a better way to do this. And it sounds like that was an opportunity <laughs> to do it. But we've got to switch the mindset. Imagine if our kids said, yes, I would like you to come over and help me do this. <laughs> because I'm really not getting it. But we think that they should know things. Right, and we forget right. that they're little people just learning. They're just learning. And, you yeah. know, and it's like... Like when I ask my kid and I'm trying to download something, he goes, do you want me to come help you do this? Me, I go, no, I got this because I'm the grown up. I got this figured out. My son's really going, dad, I can help you do this. I can teach you this. You know what I mean? Right, right. But there's so much of that ego. And well, we talk about confidence, right? And so fearlessness is that's a type that's applied confidence, right? When you're being fearless. Yeah. Um, one of the things to keep in mind, there's a middle ground between letting somebody just flounder on their own and struggle with something without any help and taking over the task and doing it for them. 
And, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is your dad would be like, you either do it, figure it out, or I'm going to come do it for you. And there's a consequence for having me. But there's a middle ground. The middle ground is knowing how much help and support a kid needs while they still struggle and then letting them own the good outcome where you say, you know what, this is what you did. Or in our, we talked earlier about mastery conversations. You say, okay, that worked out. I had to come help you. What would you do next time if I wasn't here to help you? Like, how would you do that if, if I wasn't here? And they go, oh, well, I would do this. And like, That's right. You, now they own those skills. Now the kid goes and does it on their own, and they own the whole thing, the outcome. That's confidence without the abuse. But, but you know, the other thing that I've noticed, uh, because that is exactly what, what I was thinking about, too, is that my dad, um, he was, so he was, uh, when we moved to Savai, so this is a year later, so 84, we were in Pesenga, uh, he was a seminary teacher. When we moved in 85, we moved to the big island in Savai, and he became the uh, vice principal uh, to start. It cha- And he was also now in charge of the village, in charge of the dorm students. I mean, it was like a mini BYU, it's a high school, but it's like a mini BYU, so girls had dorms, boys had dorms, people were, you know, were there from, they were basically service missionaries, that's okay. what we were doing there. So... When we got there, it just it was this uh, switch. Dad was now this uber important person, and so his demeanor and his presence in public was so different than the one we got home. And he's a religious leader. And he's a religious leader. Yeah. And so you know, as a kid, you just you just you just listen to your dad. You just follow everything. All this stuff doesn't hit you till, till years later. But I, I realize. That I'm doing, I was doing the same thing that my dad was. We didn't get the good dad. Yeah. Dad saved all of his good stuff for the kids, for, for, for any student that had a problem, for any teacher that had a problem. And then when he came home, this, this is what my dad did. He would lie on the floor in the middle of the floor with a flat volleyball as a pillow, no shirt on, just a lava lava on and just checked out every day. And he would discipline us. If, if we too loud, old man get mad disciplined because he was trying to recharge. Yeah. Like yeah. like how we would recharge case. So, you know, I, and so, so that's that's what led me to, to where I'm at now. I just kept going, kept going, didn't have a chance to take care of me. So let's get into that a little bit. You said your dad bestowed the gift of fearlessness on you. And the fearlessness came with some great responsibilities and great uh, opportunities. In fact, that you became... The first feature Samoan reporter in the world. And 19 years been doing it here in Utah. Yeah. And I had a similar job over at Channel 2, and we got to do – I mean, we and Buddha talked last week because we went to lunch. And I said, the crazy thing was, Buddha, is the state was our playground. Yeah. We could do whatever we wanted. We got paid to have fun. Yeah, we just had to call somebody and go, hey, we want to come out. And they were like, yeah. And not only is he, yeah, they would roll out the red carpet, open up doors. Yeah. And it was just amazing. Yeah. Uh, we had so many similarities in our careers that uh, I remember a lot of times people would ask my ex-wife, it's like, it's got to be so much fun being no. married to Casey. It's got to be so much fun. <laughs> no. And she goes, no. No. You guys get the good Casey. We get the tired Casey. Yeah. We get the the guy Casey that just wants to come home and lay on the couch and recharge his batteries. Right. Uh, and Buddha, you said the similar. Here I am. Here I am. Yeah, I'm raising my hand. I was now remember I I I was big. I was 450 pounds, so it was even harder for me for my energy. Right. So 
yes, oh, God bless my wife and my kids, but they had the same experience, Case. They would say, Dad, you're so fun on TV and lively, but frick, when you come home, <laughs> bro, you shut down. You you don't you want to sleep. You don't you don't want to come to any of our games. You don't want to. I didn't realize that that was happening because all I could think about was I, I, I got to save it because I, I we got a paycheck. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got to work. If I don't do this, we don't eat. So uh, you guys are gonna have to forgive me, right? Not knowing little by little, I was losing them. You know, and and I had to take. I had to take big measures. And so for 19 years, you woke up every morning and uh, Utah invited you into their home. And there's some responsibility that comes with that. Uh, you know, when you're out in public and you're out wherever, you always want to be on your best foot. Even when you're not feeling the yeah, best, yeah. you, you, you want to give everybody what you think they deserve or what they want. Yeah. Oh, that, that Netflix with uh, Kevin Hart, you know, that, that show he did said, nobody cares about you. <laughs> Uh, just get up and do the show. Nobody cares about what you're going through. They're there for you. Either you're their cup of coffee or you're their, their reason to smile. They, they're looking to you for that. But, but, but you know, when you go down, that's when you see people come out of the woodworks and, man, man, wherever you're at, we're, we're here. Yeah. We and, you know, and, and, and it's tough. Uh, I mean, it, it's tough because when you're not feeling good and you're slowly losing pieces of yourself every day, uh, and you know, your wife's threatening to leave. Your kids aren't happy, and the camera goes on. And what's your job? You got to smile, man. Make us laugh. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You you, you got to come through. You We're to paying you to make people laugh to yeah. have fun. Yeah, and and let's not get it twisted. Yes, we signed up for it. Yeah, no, nobody put a gun to our head. But there's all these things that come with it. You know, you're only as good as your last hit. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I don't think people realize. And I'm not saying anything about anybody else but i know uh casey and i when we work together i know we're always thinking about what kind of prop can we add to it yeah what kind of thing can we do to add to that because we could just stand there and talk but we're always thinking about the extra thing because of the viewer we want their experience and we're fun. always ad-libbing uh you watch most news stations and the reporters are you know, they're reading Rigid. Yeah, they're, they're reading. Yeah, but not you guys. No, it was all ad lib, but it was yep. off the cuff. Yep. And you would talk to these people and you'd say, all right, hey, listen, we'll start at A, we'll end at C, and then we're going to fill it in the middle somehow. Yeah. Figure out how to get there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a throw. It's, it's, a, it, it's homage to the 70s and the 80s uh, when, when guys had personalities. Yeah. Women had personalities. Now everybody's afraid to do that because we don't want to step on anybody's toes. I mean, if you look, and again, I'm not poo-pooing on any reporters or anything like that, but... That's what I often hear from the old school time, the old timers like, you guys remind me of the seventies and eighties when people were fun and this and that. And the new crop, they're, they're just so rigid and they just want to get through the story. They yeah. don't want to have any fun. Right. So what led you to taking your three month sabbatical? <sighs> Man, everything, everything came to a head. Uh, I had a failed, uh, suicide attempt. Um, uh, if you're a religious person, then, then you believe that that was, a. Uh, uh, Heavenly Father saying, "Hey, man, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to tell you that I'm I'm here with you, right? You know." Um, when we first started this podcast, um, we were talking about people sharing their story, and that can't be easy for you. I mean, I, I I automatically noticed your body language change, your eyes got heavy, and you're starting to water up. I mean, what makes you want to share that? Like what you guys said in the beginning, if you can help one person, you know. And so my therapy and my journey. I have to share my story. 
hopefully, hopefully it helps, man. Uh, I have a saying that I've been uh, telling uh, people uh, since my sabbatical. Uh, no egos, only equals. That's, that's all I look at it right now. Like case it. That's really, uh, that's been the thing that's been pushing me uh, to share my story. Um, you know, you talk about the other intangibles that come along with, you know, uh, that fearlessness. If if you didn't deliver on a day, a show didn't feel like it was a five star. I felt less than than adequate. I, I felt like, oh, then that means tomorrow I got to be even more crazier, right? I always had that I got to one up myself, and sometimes it 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 backfired because I didn't feel good about myself, and I'd come home irritable. And who paid the price? Your wife and your kids, you know. So when you say. uh that they didn't get that Casey, uh, bro. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Uh, my wife would tell people that all the time. She would, she would be the spot. What's it like living with him? It, it's fun. It's, <laughs> it's exciting every day. It's, oh my gosh, you know, it's amazing, you know. And then going to the bathroom. <laughs> okay, I feel better now. Okay, you know, it's just, it. I, I felt bad for her. That she had to put up a front like that, you know. Yeah. Stop and, me if your wife said this, Buddha. We're not on TV. Oh, how many times <laughs> gonna be on my gravestone? Oh, that, that, don't explain your life. Yeah, yeah. We 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 could we probably could be millionaires with bumper stickers. Things yeah. that your wives say to you when you're on TV and you think you're the shizzle. Yeah. You know. Oh, and there is ego the god with it. And I, and I've talked to Doctor Matt, and this has been something that I've recently been sharing about my story is the ego. Uh, I yeah. mean, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it comes with it. No, you. you got, I don't think people understand when you can call a business up at three o'clock in the morning without any kind of warning, and they say yes to you. You know what I'm saying? You think that every idea some, you have is a good idea? That does something to you, man. It does. That's what I'm telling you. It does. When it, you drive it's a huge reinforcement. With a car with your face and your name on it, and a cop pulls you over because they just want to take a picture. That affects you. <laughs> it affects you guys. Yeah. I, was, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't walking around like my shiz doesn't stink, but I, I knew what white privilege felt like. I'm just saying, I'm just, <laughs> I know what white privilege feels like because I could cut in line, I could do that, but I didn't do those. People things. were pushing you to the front of the line. They, people, they'd be, oh, case, come up here, don't why, wait in why line. Are you back yeah. there? And I, I, you know the rules. Yeah. You never do that. Mm. And I think that's what endeared us to people is because people say you belong in the front. No, no, no. We're, I'm back here in the line. I'm I'm cool back here. Yeah, yeah. but but people have a sense. But that still builds your ego because they offered it, right? It did. Yeah. But but that's what I'm saying is, it cannot affect you. It has to right. affect you when people are throw. It's I'm just saying it's really hard. So I would try to reserve the good juju for the morning show, for the afternoon show. Then when I come home, I'm this mean son of a gun. You know, that didn't want to do anything. So I want to throw out an, a, a term that I know you guys are both aware of, but the term is self-care. Okay. And so what you guys are talking about is a huge lack of self-care, which happens a lot in your industry. Anybody who's an entertainer, anybody who's putting on a show, I would even say it extends to others, other places like it, uh, you mentioned police officers. They have to put out a certain vibe when they're out there. Uh, university professors, you, you've got to act, whether you feel smart or not, you got to act like you are. You got to be up in front of the class. Right. And the problem is until just 
recently in our culture, we've never valued or talked about self-care. Asian cultures have had that down for a long time. You know, they're teaching you from, from, you know, for generation after generation, how to be mindful, how to use meditation and Tai Chi right. and exercise to like, to like restore your mind and restore your body. We've never valued that. We've only valued the output. And so when you guys, so most of us don't have jobs like you guys have where you, where you, you have this TV personality and then you have your home personality. And the problem is there's so much energy that goes into developing that TV personality. If you're successful, you do have to think about it all the time. You do have to always be one-upping yourself. That helps you be successful in that arena. But when you come home without any idea about self-care, without any idea about how to recharge in a healthy way, your model was your dad laying down on the floor, you know, leave me alone. Okay, maybe that's how you do it. You know, you grow up, well, maybe that's how you do it. You know, Casey, sometimes we get modeled like the drink. We come home and you have the drink and you have the beer and then another beer and another beer. That's how we unwind. And so thank goodness there are good examples of people that like the two of you are willing to say, hey, you know what? We've got to take care of the other side of ourselves because the, the, the professional side will crash. Eventually, somehow, we can't sustain it if we don't learn healthy self-care. And so I think that's a that's part of the message here I hope people are picking up is anybody has a stressful job. What if you're a school? What if you're a third grade teacher? You, you know, yeah, that that's a persona oh, yeah. that that you got you got to be the teacher, the loving, caring teacher. You're everything. Yeah. But then what what do you do when you come home? Do you know how to do self-care? Like that's that's a that's a problem our culture really lacks and if the young kids today can grow up learning about self-care you know mindfulness is like a buzzword now but that's a good thing you know that's funny that you bring that up because i don't recall at all my dad doing any of that stuff like we never went on vacations like we we would just pull out the barbecue all right that's our fun time but you know we we really didn't have a chance to gel outside of our you know the rat race yeah Dad yeah. was the same all the time. He didn't, he didn't, you're right. He didn't he self-care. Didn't, there was he didn't no know self-care. How. That was, I'm sure he was doing what he thought would work, laying down on the floor, yes. right? That, he oh, he man, needed it, but he didn't know, he didn't know how bro, to get doc, it. You just blew my mind. I just like that. Just, I just had a moment. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You're right. You know, you think about the way we pushed ourselves, um, you know, for 19 years, you've been to the rodeo every summer, 16 years. I'd been to the rodeo summer. Both of us ended up getting on a bull. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, how's your coccyx? Coccyx. It, it's not good. It's not good. You know, but, but that's what we would do. We would try to one up each other, yes. and that was always a thing. And we'd always. But, but tr- that was great for us, though. No, that was we good. Were pushing each yeah, other yeah. career wide, but but the then other but stuff then, came along but then what it. do you do? You yeah. know, and so then you, you start to get burned out. And as you said, uh, how it, many shots of hot stuff have you taken? Right. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I've done every hot week challenge the state has yeah. to offer. Colonoscopy live. Yeah, because I couldn't get one up by Katie Curry. <laughs> So, so I had to do a live colonoscopy wow. with no drugs. Uh, no, with drugs. no drugs. I had a, I had Seriously, hit. no drugs. They, 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 so, so Katie Couric did it the, the week before. They, they put her under and they tried to interview. She went, well, it went down. Yeah. So the request comes to me. <laughs> we want you to do a live this. colonoscopy, but are you willing to do it with no drugs? You know, the dumb, the dumbness in us. Camera like, courage. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I got it. Fearless <laughs> dumbness. I didn't get a colonoscopy, but I did get waxed on live TV. Uh, a manzillion. Yeah. Oh, man. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that, that was no bueno. That yeah. was no good. Yeah. Why nobody know about you? Well, I, just, I had my 50 year old uh, colonoscopy not too long ago, and I could tell you I was looking forward to the drugs because I didn't want to remember yeah. any of Thanks that. Thanks a lot, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> so you find out 
um, that you're losing yourself, uh, pushes you so far that you have a failed suicide attempt. You come back and you talk to your wife and you talk to your work and what do you tell them? I need a break. I, I, I got I to gotta figure something out. Let me, let me ask you this. Before that happened, did you know you were really struggling to that level? Uh, not until the failed suicide attempt. That was the... I. After that moment, I was crying. Everything. Like uh, Visa, MasterCard commercials. I was just... I, I was a mess. And I knew that something was wrong. And so that plus... My wife threatening divorce was always, a, you know, that's always another wake up call. You know, I can't do this. You know what's going on? Are you going to get help? So all of that, you know, helped me. And so I, I decided I, I really came to a point where I got to go get some help. I'm going to. OK, let's be honest. I thought I was just going to go to like one session and call it. You know, I'm like, cause I don't I don't believe in this crap. Right. It's, what what is what is this guy or this woman, whoever this person is going to be? Right. What are they going to tell me that that I already know that I messed up? Yeah, I already know I messed up. I don't need your help to tell me that. So I was really trying to I was trying to work the gimmick. I was trying to hustle my wife and just try to get her. A I'll go her. one visit. A, I'm going to yeah. go. I'm doing this for you, not and, me. And not knowing that that's what I needed. Yeah. So that first session I went, that was I. F- I felt like. uh like breathing. I felt like I was holding my breath underwater. And that first therapy session felt like I was taking my first fresh breath of air, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. You know, that's gasp. great. That's such a wonderful description. And for the first time, I had, uh, I guess, what people would call a moment of clarity. I finally understood why I was the way I was. And I had to stop. So I had a, I had a, I had a family meeting with my kids, you know, my wife, and I apologized, and I said I'm getting, you know, I told them this is this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get help. I'm going to do this, and that first session was probably saved my life. Yeah. But I, I went in half, um, um, half hearted, th- half hearted, thinking, um, you know, um, the Rock, the Young Rock, right? So I grew up. Early, early on, I, I used to be uh, one of the kids that was behind the scenes at the old Olympia uh, gym, and we set up the mats. My my uncle's Jimmy Snuka, uh, my dad's sister who married him. But when he says work the gimmick, that's us, Case. Mm-hmm. We have worked the gimmick so well, we have become the gimmick. Yep. You know, but thankfully for you, you've used your real name. I'm, I just use the moniker. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But but we've we've worked it so well yeah. that you have become this thing, and, and for, so you're so afraid to lose that. Yeah. And so you, that's how I was trying to preserve it. Is I would I would I would come home and not not spend any more energy on it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> yeah, because that's the only thing that you knew what to do and. and Growing up in enter- with some entertainment background as a kid, then you realize it's all about the show, right? The show gets yeah. you paid, and the show gets you friends, and the show gets you all that. And so then when you become the show, you know, it's hard. I want to know what it was like to go in and talk to the station and tell them you needed time off because overcoming that ego – that that holds so many people back, whether it's trying to get re- recovery for drugs and alcohol, for mental health care, like going in and saying, I need to take time. I, I'm hurting. That That's hard to do. I, 
I just, you know what? I was, uh, I was just standing at the at the, at the edge, and I was just going to jump in, you know, and I was just going to take whatever. I, I did do some homework, you know, read the company handbook and all that, and they provided it. Just yes, you can take time. All you got to do is tell your manager, and that's what I did. I didn't get any pushback at all. You good, know, I was able good. to go into three months sabbatical. And that's different about nowadays. You, know, you think about when Bad. our parents grew up, you know, even 20 years of. ago, you you risk, you risk worry you're going to get fired. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you three months and more because you'll no longer work here. Right. Yeah. And especially in a job where you're the show. You're oh, the you're show. I it's mean, it was, it was notable that you were gone. Uh, I mean, I know after I got off the air. I it was mean, very noticeable, yes, yeah. that when you were gone, of course. Yeah, people, you know, and, people would ask me, people who had never... They knew that you you and I were friends, and they'd be like, where's Casey? Yeah. yeah. What happened to Casey, you know? So you, you take the three months off. What do you do to find clarity? What do you do to continue your journey? I mean, what kind of things are you using? All the three months? Are you talking about yeah. or, or after, when and, I came back? All of it. Yeah. the it, it was all new to me, you know, and I was willing to do... Uh, you know, we, my kids, uh, they tease me, you know, when I do stuff, and they'll say, Dad, are you really about that life? You know, so so I took that on as a personal mantle for this thing. And so what that meant was traveling, seeing family, doing things that I would that would help me get into that positive space. Right. Um, so I went and saw my brother uh, did some hike hiking. Oh, my gosh. I freaking hiked for the first time in my life. What the people, my family, like, what's are you? Right? Uh, you hiking. What's, what's going on? Why, why are you hiking now? Right. Um, I have a cousin who does giant bubbles. And I didn't think it was going to help me. He's like, come on down. Let me, let me, let me What's just. a giant bubble? Tell uh, us so, about so it. He, he, it's a rope, two, two sticks on a rope, and he connected it, and you put it in a bubble solution. You open it up, and it blows 20 to 30-foot bubbles. Oh, wow. He does it on the Capitol. He does it at Pioneer Park. I mean, he's, so he knew I was going through a funk, and he has, Come on, man. I mean, let me blow some bubbles for you. <laughs> okay, I'm just like, uh, wait, we some grown ass man. We about to blow some bubbles. Uh, who's worse off, my cousin or me? Yeah, <laughs> right. So we go out, and he, sure enough, I get this this wave of yeah. calm, and I'm like, I'm so mad at you right now. He goes, Why? Why? I thought you felt good. Yeah, all this time, all you had to do was blow bubbles for me, and I would have been fine. Where the heck were you? Where were the bubbles? Yeah. I remember when we sat down to lunch last week and you said, Casey, how you doing? And I said, better than I've ever been. And I think what you're describing is kind of what I've been doing is you started to live and realizing that if you're not on the show, life still goes on. And I remember what I said to you because somebody said it to me. Your job on TV is what you do. It's not who you are. And it seems like for both of us, we got a little lost in who we were. Yeah. And now you're on a journey to find what Leroy Buddha is all about. Here, here's the thing I was telling people is during the sabbatical, big life changes happened for me. I became a grandfather. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I can't tell you, you, you think you're a good dad and you hold your kid and you think you're going to do right by them. Man, I got to tell you, man, there's something happened to you when you pick up a grandkid, man. It changes everything. Like, yeah, you don't care if you swear in front of your kid because that's your kid. But when I held my grandson for the first time, I'm like, I can't be doing these things. I said, I got grandkids now. Shoot, I can't. I can't be going to strip clubs. I can't be. What, I, I can't be doing this. I can't be like. What? What the heck's wrong with me? I got. I'm a grandfather, bro. It it changed. 
While I was on my sabbatical, that happened. I came back to work. I'm I'm going to be fun. I'm going to be edgy, but I'm going to be grandpa edgy. It's a different experience. Everything I experience from now on has a grandpa feel to it. I I can't explain it's it. It's more grounded. I, I really can't explain it, yeah. but it has changed my life. The the way my I'm worried about the way my grandkids are going to see me. Uh, at the end of May, I'll have three grandkids, wow. two grandsons and a granddaughter. And I'm telling you, I every grandparent out there knows what I'm talking about. You think you're going to be a good parent? No, no. You hold that grandkid for the first time, game changer. It's over. They got you. And so now I just I wish it would have happened earlier. Yes, I wish it would happen earlier. It happened now, guys. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, let, let let me throw something in there in that mix so first of all that's wonderful and it's had a it's it's been a game changer your words right but you let it become a game changer you brought something to that experience of holding that grandson you were ready for something to happen you wanted it to happen so if this has gotten you more grounded in life it's because you you added something to that experience because even though there may be some people out there who have, hold their grandchild and they have that moment like you had, but then it's gone. They go right back to being the same person and not taking it to another level. Like you said, now you're doing things from different point of view. Your lens on the world is, is a grandfather's lens of the but, world. But, Doc, would you think that that's because they haven't had an experience? Like, it can't, you know, yeah, it's right? both. It's, it's the magic of when things fit together yeah. just right, yeah. right? Yeah. So the experience was presented. There's the grandbaby. You get to hold it. The experience is right there, and then you're ready to take it. Giving in. Let, yeah. Letting it happen. Letting it happen, letting it happen. right? And letting See, I, it stick. I, I didn't even realize that until you just said it. Until yeah. I'm just thinking, oh, it's supposed to happen. No, no. You're right. That <laughs> that makes sense. And that goes back to this idea of us owning like the insight of who we are, the good person that we can become, the person we want to be. We we can't know when those experiences are going to come. Like you said, it would have been great if it came earlier. Maybe you wouldn't yeah. have been ready for it if right. it came earlier. Oh, gosh. Right? Bars. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been saying this a lot lately when I talk to people, uh, and uh, you can say God, the world, karma, whatever you believe. It gives you what you want when you need it, not when you want it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I just like to throw in, if you're looking for it, look for it. It it will be there when you're ready for it to to come to you. What else? I I think people need to know, like, this is serious. You you, you had a suicide attempt. This was serious stuff. Your wife was talking divorce. Uh, This was serious. You needed time off work. What other thing? So I think, first of all, there's a theme of connection. You went and saw family. You traveled around. You did. You made these connections. You did the bubbles with your cousin. I was doing all kinds all of stuff, Doc. I mean, like, like even you know, uh, if we're going to be completely uh, transparent, uh, alcohol, drugs, experimenting with. Uh, I, I wasn't going to do what is the haruska ha, 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 uh, ayahuasca. Ha, Okay, yeah. somebody asked me, you know what you should do? Ah, yeah, ah, yeah ah, <laughs> I studied a little bit. Ah, I'm good. Yeah. You know, I, you know, yeah. but but I wanted. And so when I started going to therapy, I, I promised my wife and my family that if it led down to where the, 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 the therapist said, hey, why don't we try some uh, chemicals? If I'm about the healing life, right? If I'm about trying to get better, I shouldn't, I shouldn't stop from trying anything that a medical professional 
uh, suggest. Does, does that make sense? That's so they way said better than hiking. what your neighbor suggests. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but they were suggesting like hiking, meditation. So whatever she said, I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. You're open. And little by little, I started to find my groove. Mm-hmm. Right into what I do it. So for me, um, music has been a big trigger for me. If I can listen, I, I don't know what it's reggae. Re- I love reggae and island music. If I can listen to that for five minutes, I've learned that it brings my whole person mm-hmm. and demeanor down, like counting to ten. Sure. But but I have to be able to find a place where I can do it. Right, I can't cheat the experience. Mm-hmm. I can't be like, okay, I'm gonna put in my my earbuds and still walk around. It, it doesn't. No, you have to be. In a well, certain it becomes place. a type of meditation, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. it's like, centering. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. So right now, your TV career is in limbo. Yes, uh, you've got this newfound appreciation of life. You're starting to find more connections out there. You're a grandfather. Uh, I I can see light back in your eyes, and and, and it, it gives me joy. So, what does the world look like for you right now? Oh, uh, right now. Um just uh um just trying to find work you know um not really sure what that looks like uh with lawyers and confidentiality you know all that other stuff but um i i can only say uh, forgive me and you're welcome to cut this out if you want i i gotta i I gotta thank fox for giving me a platform you know for allowing me a chance to to blossom and do that without them there there is no no big buddha i mean i I was just, just happy being a radio guy so Thank them for that, but uh, now that I've gotten this thing, whatever you want to call it, I, I just, it's just trying to find some work, man. You know, just trying to do my part and help people smile and hopefully uh, tell their stories. So I don't know what's on the docket, to be honest with you, but uh, I, I this this show is uh, more than anything else has also made me realize that there's there's hope. There is, in case you're right, there's life after TV. There is. Even if you don't go back to TV, you know, but uh, if you're asking me, I, I would love, I would love to pop up somewhere and see if it's a, if it's not a fluke. Let's see if we can't repeat this. If it's not a fluke. That's all. Let me ask you to tell a story. Okay. Hang, hang on. Uh, that you told off the air because regardless of what you do professionally going forward, you and Casey have a lot in common. And that is that you're just who you are, your, your personalities touch people and you have this ability to be in the moment with people. I've watched Casey do it for a long time. Uh, I've only seen you from afar on TV, but you guys have that, that, that connection with people. Will you tell the story of going for the first time to speak after, after you oh. got into recovery at my alma mater, Morgan high school, not too long ago. Will you just tell the story because I want, I want you to tell it again for you to hear it. And I want the people to hear it because this is how we overcome mental health problems in our communities. This is how we overcome suicide in our communities. So uh, my cousin, Sione Havili, uh, he's been, uh, he has a documentary that's been filled about his life. Um, he was a Mormon missionary uh, in New York City, got extradited back to Utah for a firebombing fire incident. And so his story is about redemption, overcoming you know, going from being a five-star recruit to uh, being a felon and now a executive at Domo. So he has an amazing story. So um, he gets invited to Morgan High School. He's going to go talk to uh, the kids about overcoming, you know, and uh, diversity and that you're good enough. So he calls me and asks me for some tips and pointers on public speaking. 
and I ask him what's it for. He tells me the whole thing and he gets to the part about mental health. He says, man, I could really use some help on that. I'm not really familiar in that space. And this is fresh. I just finished a therapy session and my therapist said, you know, don't, don't hold your story. You got to share it. That's the only way you're going to start healing. And he called me right after. So I, I saw it as an opportunity. I said, you know, I'll, I'll come and take care of it. I'll come and talk. Um, my, my therapist, I should do it to do it. So he calls the school, asks for permission. They said, sure, that's great. So we show up. It's about uh, 800 to 1,000 kids. Uh, they stopped the school. They filled the auditorium. And so they got to, uh, when it got to my portion, I just talked about um, how social media, news, you know, I work in the news and I know sometimes we force you and show you that this is how you should look. This is how you should act. This is how you should say this, you know, be yourself. Everybody's unique and everybody has their own unique light. So I did the the whole $20 thing, you know, $20, you can run it through the mud. You can find it in the garbage has egg has crap on it. But the worth is still $20, right? And I got, oh, wow, that's really cool. So and I had this idea that everybody's unique. Everybody has their own light. Some are brighter than others, but it's a light nonetheless. So I said, hey, can we turn off all the lights? So they turned off all the lights in the gym. And, you know, like kids, ooh, everybody, yeah. you know, right? okay, we just, just let it settle, let it settle. Think about this. Everyone has a light inside of them. Just like the phone. Everybody has a phone. Some of us have the new iPhone. Some of us have the old iPhone. Some of us have cracked screens. Some of you have an Android. I don't know that. It's dark. But you all have a light. Turn on your lights. Everybody threw up their lights. It looked like stars. And it lit up. And and the, the reaction that we got from the kids was priceless. And I said, see, that's what I'm talking about. Everybody has this light. I can't tell who has a new phone. I can't tell who has an old phone. I don't know who screen is cracked. All I see is the beautiful light emanating from inside. That's all I see. Thank you for that. That's done more for me than it's done for you. But I hope you learned something from this. And that that was my message to the kids. And you, and you said the kids were they were emotional and some were crying. They were crying, yeah, because that's the message kids need it's also the message adults need yeah so it didn't matter what what phone you had right isn't that beautiful yeah i i don't know where that came from not for me i I don't know whether you believe in uh spirits or whatever but that that was not me that that didn't come for me but you're a conduit for it (laughs) and so i hope that after our our show today you'll remember that whatever you do professionally you have a special gift to reach out and touch because i know that made a difference for some people in that audience that day because it's such a powerful visual message. And there are so many teenagers right now, they need that message. So I hope that those sorts of experiences will be in your future for a long time. Thank you. Thank you. Buddha, you have a beautiful light and you've shared it with the state of Utah for so many years. I want you to take time and make sure that you keep that light shining because, you know, that's what's important. You know, we, we say in recovery all the time, you can't fill somebody else's cup up if your cup's empty. Fill your cup up, buddy. Fill your cup up. Self-care. You got to get some self-care. self-care. And it sounds like you're on the right track. And, and I am so blessed and thankful that you stopped by to share your story with us today. I mean, it really is going to help. Uh, uh, y'all I'm, help me more than you do. I'm here because you're my brother, but you guys have helped me. 
Thank you so well, much for I, today. I'm going to walk out of here feeling uplifted today. <laughs> And that's one of the reasons I love this show. It's one of the reasons I love hanging out with this guy right here. And now I love hanging out with you. This is, and that, that connection we talk about on the show all the time that the opposite of addiction is connection is connection, right? It's not abstinence. It's connection, but that goes for mental health too. That goes for quality of life. You don't have a quality of life. If you feel isolated and alone, you have depression, you have worries, you have insecurities, but connection can start the path of recovery in all those areas. So thank you so much for connecting with me and with everybody uh, who's listening today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate I love it. you, brother. Love you too, bro. Love you. Hey, thanks for stopping by and listening to the podcast today. Don't forget, it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. That's right, Big Buddha. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.